Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 61, where we're talking with Megan. Stay tuned as we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So Megan, who are you? I am 40 years old. I am a mother and a teacher and a musician, and I am bisexual and polyamorous. And that kind of sums me up in a nutshell right now, I think. Fantastic. What does polyamory mean to you? That is a great question today, considering uh, my topic of terminology and vocabulary, because it took me a little while to embrace the word polyamory and to be able to say like, okay, yes, I am polyamorous. Um, Because I think there were just, there were so many things going on in my mind about it and determining what it meant. And the thing that finally made me say, okay, this is what this means. And this is what it means to me was just looking at the word for what it was. Polly Amory. I love more than one person. Do you love more than one person, Megan? Yes, you do. I guess you're polyamorous. So in the simplest terms, um, that's what it means to me. It means having a romantic love for more than one person. And thanks to my current life, being able to um, practice that, if you will. And what drew you to polyamory? It was kind of a perfect storm of many things happening all at the same time. And I'm sure as for many people, the pandemic and being stuck in a place where you just have a lot more time for talking and communication about all kinds of things sort of kicked everything into overdrive really started with meeting the woman who i am now in a relationship with and that leading me to i always say embrace and identify with my bisexuality i mean looking back now I have always been bisexual, but it took me a long time to be able to say that out loud because I have been married to a man for 15 years together for 20. And all of that time, I sort of had what culture and society tells you in your head, like, okay, maybe you were bisexual before, but now you have chosen to be straight, but still kind of like girls, but I still really liked girls. And so um, I had this realization, um, starting to really, really like somebody, okay, this is still really very much a part of my life. And she happened to be connected to the poly community in Milwaukee. And that was something I really wasn't familiar with. And I didn't know a whole lot about. So by starting to spend more time with her, getting introduced to this community, those two things sort of bounced off of each other because I started to read stories and Facebook posts and listen to the podcast and see what people were doing with their lives. And so as I was introduced to all of that and learned more, the brain kept wheeling around going, wait, I I, I can have this. I can have this with her. And she's the one that introduced me to it. And so it all was just sort of this 
infinite loop of um, sort of a chicken and egg sort of situation. Like, which came first, the, the bisexuality or the polyamory? Well, it's just, it's all fitting together really nicely now. I really relate to the way you started off describing that as like you'd been, you know, married to your husband for 15 years and together for 20. And so you sort of had in your mind, like maybe I was, but now I've chosen. Um, I remember actually really kind of consciously making the decision to stop publicly identifying as bisexual after my wife and I got married because it just seemed too complicated. And like, it was already gonna be a thing trying to explain that, yes, I was married and yes, this was another woman. I'm like, uh, yeah, we're just gonna go with lesbian. Less things to explain to random people. And it's fine. I'm not gonna have sex with men cause I'm in the, I'm married now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly how it felt. It was sort of like, we're married. And then especially once we had children, it's like, okay, um, being with women is just a thing of my past and there's not really room in my life to do that anymore. So I might as well just be heterosexual. Mm -hmm. It's funny how life does not always work the way you imagine in your mind that it's going to. So I guess that your answer to what drew you to polyamory is kind of tied up in the answer to the next question, but I wanna ask it anyway, just in case there's some nuances that you wanna bring out. When did you know that you were polyamorous? There is kind of another part to that because I, I'm going to say embracing a lot today. It's just such a great and appropriate word, but being able to call it polyamory came at a later time than when I was first attracted to a woman and starting to have some kind of a relationship with her again, because it kind of started out as a friends with benefits kind of thing. And so it was like, okay, great. I'm still married. I am hanging out with this woman and it's fun, but that's still what it is. It's ethical non-monogamy. It's not polyamory. And then I found myself starting to do the same kind of things I did when I started dating my husband, just like I was doing the falling in love things. I was like wanting to make her food and write little notes. And the big one was when I caught myself starting to write her a song. I was like, no, Megan, no, you, you can't write her a song. This is that that means you're falling hard. And so I compromised by writing a song about how I wasn't going to write her a song. And then I was like, I'm just going to keep this to myself. And I was like, no, I can't keep this to myself. I'm going to make a video. I'm going to send it to her. And I was like, all right, that's it. This is yeah this, this is more. <laughs> that is so cute. So what, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? Oh gosh, for me right now, I think we have come to, it took the getting started took a lot of work, just tons and tons of communication um, with my husband, with her, with her other partner. And we had some trials and errors and we made some mistakes and feelings were hurt and there were frustrations. And I'm really glad that we put the work into that because we've come to a really good place with it now where I think just everyone is really happy and we're in a really good situation, but it definitely took a lot of work at the time and it helped 
teach me just how blatantly I need to communicate, like just how specific I need to be with my words and things that in a relationship with just one person are already important, but are even more important when there are multiple people involved is you have to make sure that you're all speaking the same language and that everybody is talking to everybody. So that was definitely a big learning curve. And while that doesn't feel too difficult now, it felt very difficult at the start. And it was a challenge and took a lot of courage and rethinking. I think kind of the most difficult thing now is just wanting to be more open about it and trying to figure out where and with whom and in what situations I can be more open and starting to try to take those baby steps towards coming out about different aspects of it. Yeah, that's definitely a complicated whole other conversation or series of conversations. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned up at the top that you're a parent and that complicates it too, because you don't want to lie to your children, but you also know children might just say anything to anyone. <laughs> and so if you're going to be out to your children, you have to be prepared to be outed. The funny thing is I am out to my children and I think they really understand the proper situations in which they can be open about it. Um, they're nine and seven. So they are of an age, I think, to be able to, we talk about it as we're not keeping secrets. We are talking about certain things in the right time and place to talk about them. And I use sort of as an example, all of our lives, we have not told our children that swear words are bad words because my husband and I use them all the time. Like it would be really hypocritical of us to tell our children, well, you can't say those words. They're bad words when we say them. And so we have always called them at home words. And if you're not using them to hurt someone else in our house, you are allowed to use at home words at home. So like my kids are allowed to drop F-bombs if it's about how there's cat litter all over the carpet. We're fine with that. Like it's gotta be appropriate context. You can't use it to hurt someone and at home words stay at home. You know, we don't right. say them around your grandparents. We don't say them at school. And if you say one of these words in a place that is not at home, then you're gonna lose your privileges to say them at home. And they've been really good about that. And so we just talk about like our love life as being an at-home topic. And we talk about it when we're at home and it's okay to talk about it with um, my other partner and you know her family. And um, I think they, they feel really understanding about it. When I first had the, it just sort of naturally flowed to be able to tell them completely honestly um, and use the words. Okay, like, yeah, I just wanna be, we talk a lot about courage and being yourself and um, she's my girlfriend. And when I go over there, we smooch and snuggle and sleep in the same bed. And my daughter was just like, yeah, we know. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we know, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you, I'm just like, they're just, they're growing up in a different world than I did. And I love it, I love every minute of it. I love that my kids have people in their lives who are, 
same-sex married couples and they just don't bat an eye at that. I never would have thought that that would happen in my lifetime. And there are transgender kids in their classes at school and they know how to use different pronouns. And like, this is amazing. This is, this is not me in a small town life <laughs> um, and what my experience was like when I was their age. So I'm really, really happy for that. Yeah, my kids grew up um, going after school to uh, a home with a friend of mine whose daughter is a couple of years older than they are and who transitioned, um, I think, probably three or four years ago. And the kids were so like, yeah, you know, that's their name. That's, you know, she's a girl. Like, it, in spite of my best intentions, I just didn't like automate on it as fast as they did. They were just so like crystal clear from within a week of being told the person you used to know identifies as a girl and this is her name. Um, you know, like they would, it probably took me a couple of months to get absolutely reliable with it. And they were constantly like, mom, <laughs> I mean, I still called Colectivo Altera for like a year, so. Right, yeah, exactly. When you know something in a certain context, there's an adjustment period. And I love that for kids, it just seems to be much quicker and less mental. Like they just do it, you know. I, and I am going to have to adopt that uh, at-home language, though, because my <laughs> four-year-old is already starting to drop some F-bombs. And I think she does it because she knows it makes me laugh. <laughs> Because it is hilarious. Yeah. But also I'm like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Not in front of grandma. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, we haven't used at home as the framework, but we've had the same kind of like, they're just words, but they're words where context matters and it's not appropriate to say them at school and it's not appropriate to say them in front of grandma. <laughs> but I like the shortening of at home because it's just communicates so clearly, which is such a great example of what we're planning on talking about in the second half. <laughs> so where would you say that you are in your poly journey? Well, it's definitely still all pretty new to me. Um, this all kind of got started about a year ago. It's been a big change of a year for me and my husband. And like I mentioned, the pandemic really, I think, gave us much more of an opportunity to be at home and be together. And most of the time, one of us is at work or both of us is at, are at work or we are handing off the kids. And I don't think we would have had the devoted time together to really talk the way that we needed to talk and share about this if it hadn't been for COVID. So um, that's a little bit of a silver lining to that. I feel very good about what my relationships are right now. I'm not looking for anyone else. And I would say that, you know, the biggest part of it for me, as far as moving forward is coming out. And the journey is going to be about coming out for me because I really want to be more open with as many people in my life as I can be. And I'm for one thing, I'm not only to feel like my authentic self and to be able to just you know, share my happiness, 
but to help normalize it. I mean, I think there, as you guys both clearly know, there are so many stigmas out there about, you know, people with multiple partners that were just a bunch of like crazy sex deviants having orgies all the time. And uh, there's, that's, that's not the case. Um, I, my husband and I are very like, I guess recognized, established as a couple and as a unit. And a lot of people, we, we have a really great and a very strong relationship. We're best friends and very, very close and have always had a great marriage. And I think we're seen by a lot of people as we that we know as this kind of like paragon of what a good marriage is. And I think there are a lot of people that um, if they knew like maybe it would be shocking at first, but also like, I want people to know, like it's people like us. <laughs> like we are regular people with jobs and doing cool stuff and families and living our lives and contributing to the community of Milwaukee. And, you know, we happen to embrace polyamory and it's okay. <laughs> like, it's um, can you tell us, you've talked a lot about what um, your journey has been uh, over the past year. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of where is your husband in these conversations and sort of what has, can you, I mean, it's a little bit asking you to put words in somebody else's mouth, but can you tell us a little bit about where he has been over the conversation? Absolutely. And I, I feel really comfortable speaking for him um, on that subject because, of course, we've talked about it a lot. Um, and one of the difficult things for me along the journey has been to accept that he is not polyamorous himself. And we've gone back and forth and had this conversation a lot because at the beginning, um, I felt like it needed to be fair. <laughs> like If I was going to have a relationship that did not involve him, then I needed to be accepting of him having a romantic relationship that did not involve me. And I was, and I told him many times, you know, like, this is, this is okay. I want you to have this too, if you want it. And he just kept saying, no, I, I don't really. Um, which is where the terms have sort of come into play because we are ethically non-monogamous together. And that's sort of separate from my relationship with my girlfriend. And so we are still interested in pursuing that together. But he has said, anything I do with anybody else, I want you to be in the room. And I thought, okay, that's great. But I also want to do stuff without you in the room. And like, am I selfish for that? And the way that he has explained it is just, it's just really different. Like what I have from my relationship with my girlfriend fulfills me in this very deep emotional way that not only makes me my best self but contributes to my relationship with my husband like it brings something to our marriage that is positive and strengthening and I mean, it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a relationship with a woman and that is something that he truly like can't be for me like he is perfect for me we are perfect together in every way except you know he's not a woman <laughs> that will just never really change so um he is not interested in men and he said if he was then that might be something that he would consider but 
that anything that he would get out of having an outside relationship with another woman doesn't fulfill something that he wants to bring in to our marriage. And that was a little hard for me to accept because it did make me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm being selfish here. I want him to have this too. And it kind of came down to just that understanding that um, he and I are very close and we have a great relationship, but we're different people and we have our differences. Like I am very social. I'm an extrovert. I crave time with friends. I like being in the spotlight. I'm just, I'm a very outward sort of person. And so um, I get fueled by social time and time with other people. And he's kind of the opposite. He is an introvert and he needs self time a lot more than I do. And we've had other conversations in the past where I've said like, oh, I've gotten so much you know, time out with my friends lately. Don't you want to go out and like do something and I'll be at home with the kids. And he's like, no, I just, I want to watch old bike races. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's great. I have no desire to do that. So you watch your bike races and I'll go to the bar. Um, but, and it's not that he is not social at all and he enjoys spending time with friends, but what he needs the most in his life is self time and what I need more is social time. And so I kind of look at it like that, like this is this thing that works for me and is what I want. And if he truly isn't interested in that in our marriage, then then that's okay. It doesn't mean I'm being unfair or being selfish. I need to be a good listener and I need to listen to him when he says, this is what I want and this is how I want our relationship to be. And it was so cute. He, <laughs> in our last conversation about it, um, he said something. He's like, you, every, you come back from her place and you just glow. And you're glowing all the time. And it really does like make me warm and fuzzy inside. And I'm just like, oh, I know the word for that. Now you're having compersion. <laughs> so great. He's like, I'm having come what? I'm like, compersion. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So speaking about your like poly journey, where do you hope to go or what are your poly goals? Um, kind of coming back to the idea of just of being out. Um, and I think incidentally, it would be the the being out as bisexual part is much easier for me, but now it's tied into the polyamory piece, the being out as having a relationship in addition to a long-standing, formerly monogamous marriage. And I talked about that with my girlfriend too. She said, I think very few people would be shocked if I said I was dating a woman. Many people would be shocked if I said I was dating a married woman. <laughs> it's like, I never thought about it that way. Like for her, um, because she has a male partner, but she's not married. And so that's the part of it, I think, for her that feels very like difficult to be open about because it's the piece where people have the most taboos. And it's the more I think about it, the more ridiculous it seems that we completely normalize divorce and cheating in our culture. Like we don't think it's good, but it's socially acceptable. Like if I were to go to many of my friends and family and say, my husband and I are getting a divorce, like people would be sad, 
but no one would think it was weird. <laughs> right. No one would think there's something wrong with you. If I were to tell them my husband and I opened up our marriage and now I have a relationship with a woman, it would be the family scandal of the century. And like, why? <laughs> because with the path that we chose, like no one's getting hurt. Like no one's cheating on anybody. Everyone is happy. And when there's, you know, divorce that up and so much and I, it's, it's hard for me to understand, but I think that's the part that makes me the most skeptical about coming out is that there are people that while they may not think it's wrong, they just won't get it. They'll just ask, well, why, why do you need this? And I think, um, I think a lot about my husband's family, especially in that respect, I feel the most skeptical about being open with them because I just fear this judgment of like, well, isn't he enough for you? <laughs> like, well, yeah, but also <laughs> he, he wants us to have this too. And that's something that we came to an agreement about together and it's very much a part of our marriage and a part of our romantic journey to share this and have this. And it has as much to do with him as it does with me. And I think that's something that would be really hard for people to understand that it would come across as me set like, like it would, it would appear that I like talked him into it. Like, well, I want to be with a woman and I'm going to leave you if you don't let me. And that's just not how it went down at all. Like not even a little bit. And so sort of being on the defense about that preemptively, like expecting what people's reactions will be um, is hard. But, um, you know, my husband is a performer and a lot of our date nights are me watching his performances by myself. And I'm just like, well, I want to take my girlfriend as my date and like sit there and hold hands. And like, I, just, I don't feel like I can do that yet, but I, I want to. So that's, that's where I want to go when I can sit and hold hands with her and like introduce her as my girlfriend at my husband's performances. Like that'll be the day that I know like, yeah, this is it. I'm living the dream. <laughs> that is fantastic. Nice. What a great, like totally concrete poly goal. Um, so why would you say that you are poly? Ooh, I, I knew all these questions were coming. I've listened to the podcast many times. I know my tenets of journalism. Um, and this one is still um, probably the hardest to answer for me. And I think it just comes down to the fact that I really am experiencing feelings as strong in a different way for another person as I am for my husband. And it has thrown away all concept that I ever had of, you're gonna meet the one, you're gonna find the one, and no one else is ever gonna make you feel this way. And they make me feel different ways, but they are equally strong. And they are definitely both love. And there's a distinction for those two people from other people who I have loving relationships with in my life, whether those are friendships or family or coworkers, people that 
um, I spend time with, there is definitely, there is a difference. And so the experience of really truly feeling that level of intensity for someone other than my husband while still feeling that level of intense love for my husband. In fact, increasing the intensity of that love because the communication about it has brought us so much closer together. I mean, I would say that my relationship with my husband is the best it's ever been in 20 years. And that's seeing it all happen, seeing that process take place over the course of the year has confirmed to me so much that this is who I am. And it's not something that I tried and it didn't work. Like I tried and it evolved and it got better. And it's, you know, I'm a musician. When I practice <laughs> my instruments, I see progress. And I look back and think, wow, yeah, I'm glad that I'm doing this. Why, how, how did I not realize that if I kept at this, it was going to get better and better. And it still sort of surprises me every time. And, and that's how I feel now. Like we, we kept at it. We kept at the talking and we got past some of the difficulties and we're moving forward and it's great. So I think the why is that I'm feeling success i'm feeling more and more every day like it's the right thing and that to me is a sign that like yeah there's there's a why here why is because it's who i am and it's what i want and why did you agree to be interviewed today um so i had reached out to you guys uh after listening to the podcast quite a little bit and saying you know i've, I've never really heard anything like this and do you know anybody i could talk to because um there are still a lot of questions i have and the first thing you said was hey why don't you be on the podcast <laughs> oh um yeah i guess i i could do that because it um was a great way to get to talk about it out loud like I don't get to talk about this out loud to a lot of people and talking about it to my partners is a very different situation because it's like, like you're in it, that's your life and it's actually happening and it's emotionally charged. So to get to talk about why I'm loving my poly life in this kind of a setting, it just feels like you know, getting to go like to the coffee shop and dish with your friend about a date. It just, it feels good. It feels like being able to let out um, who I am. And also um, if there are people listening who um, listen to this podcast in a sort of exploratory way, like I am unsure, is this something that I want in my life? Um, I hope that maybe they'll hear this and like feel a little bit more like taking the risk because I think especially women in monogamous heterosexual marriages are conditioned to not ask for what they want and not talk to their partners about what they really want and how they really feel. And despite the fact that I've had a very honest and communicative relationship with my husband, all this time and he's always known that i'm attracted to women that wasn't anything new to him to be able to start conversations about opening up our marriage was very new it was something we had never 
considered. And I never thought to think that it was something I wanted and that's something that I could ask for. And so as I began to learn and realize that um, being able to just bravely have those conversations was a game changer. And he has surprised me on so many occasions with there, there are so many times that I thought like, oh, he's, he's, I don't know how he's going to feel about this. He's going to be that, like, it was one thing to say this, but now I don't know. And so many times just because I've been able to be open and really say what I feel and ask, like, what, how do you feel about this? Can we do this? It's been, well, yeah, of course we can. And then I'm like, we can? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so um, I think a lot of people will be surprised, like just how much can change from allowing yourself to have those conversations and allowing yourself to think about and talk about what you want. So if you're out there <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, I don't know, I want to ask for an open relationship, but I'm not sure if it's a good idea. Just doesn't hurt to ask like your partner is probably not going anywhere and if they are a great and supportive partner like my husband is then they're going to listen and they're going to have those conversations with you and you just never know where it's going to go it's gone in a really great direction for me um i really relate to uh a lot of that in a sort of a weird way like I came into being poly from a position of after my divorce and being, um, you know, I identify as solo poly. So, you know, I sort of was single to start out with all of this, but one of my partners um, who is a long distance partner has never been poly or in an open relationship or, you know, sort of anything like that. And when we first started talking about it, what our relationship was going to look like like he was really uncertain and it was really new ground for him and initially it was an uncomfortable conversation and a series of uncomfortable conversations but over time as the conversations continued and as he really got to experience that our relationship was great it became so much more comfortable for him to like just continue the conversations and see that like my other relationships if anything like you've expressed enhance that relationship they certainly are not a threat to that relationship and there's not competition among the people like i love these people and have really individual relationships with them and i think that it's a perspective that is kind of hard to talk about. And we, so we don't hear a lot about that, those early stages of trying to figure this stuff out and how you go about having those conversations and that even though they're scary, they're worth it. Definitely. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. All right. So uh, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back. Mm -hmm. 
Polyamory Uncensored is excited to announce a brand new product. We have designed a planner and journal specifically geared for polyamorous individuals. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I love recommending journaling to our guests and audience members. After about the 50th time or so I caught myself suggesting it, I thought to myself, there should be a journal specifically designed for us polyamorous folks. One that includes a planner, because of course we be planning, and one that prompts us to go deep into our poly lives. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the just plain complicated truths. And I wanted to put together a space where you could go if you needed to vent out all of those really hard poly drama feelings. So I designed the Polyamory Uncensored Planner and Journal. This little book includes a full year planner for the year 2021, as well as self-discovery pages, guided journal with polyamory themed prompts and resource guide pages so that you can keep track of the books and podcasts and websites that you find helpful in your poly journey. Get yours today for yourself or the thoughtful polyamorist in your life at tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. That's tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. In doing so, you support me and this podcast. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. All right. We are back uh, chatting with Megan about coming to terms with terms. So uh, why did you pick terminology as your topic today? I chose this because at the beginning of my poly journey, one of the first things that I did was look at this link, probably from the Toolshed website, to a glossary of terminology. And it was overwhelming. I looked at this list and I was reading these definitions and I was just thinking, I I want to know this, but this just seems like a lot. And I don't see myself ever using these words like, okay, maybe I want another relationship, but I'm not this kind of poly. I'm not glossary kind of poly. And over the course of the year, I have kind of flipped on that standpoint. I have gradually started bringing some of these terms into my vocabulary because it's helped with communication. It has helped me figure out for myself, okay, what is this and what are these things? And it has helped in communication with both partners. It has helped in communication with other poly people to be able to kind of put some labels on things and say, okay, this is, this is what this is. Um, you guys were just in our break talking about metamors. And that was one where, when I first read the definition, I was like, I'm never going to say metamor. <laughs> come on. And lo and behold, like it's a great word and it makes so much sense. And um, something that was really great for me, for all of us is once we kind of all came to the decision, the realization that my relationship with my girlfriend was just for the two of us and neither my male partner or her male partner was involved in that physically or romantically both of the men just like immediately jumped on board to being like the good metamor (laughs) it was like and we all needed that clarification and that terminology for them to 
embrace those roles and to know like, okay, this is my, for my husband to know, like, this is my relationship to her. This is how this works for her partner to know this is his relationship to me. And it's not just a friendship. There's more to it than that. It's a familial kind of thing. And to have this experience of sharing, loving someone gives you a much deeper connection than just a typical friendship. And so to experience that, to see both of them kind of fall into those roles and to have a word for it and a term for it and to know like this is this is a new kind of relationship in my life to to have a metamor um, for my husband to be a metamor to somebody is really cool and I like having a word for it. I think you really spoke into something important about words like metamor, which is they're so useful inside the community and inside the relationships. And just like you were sort of put off in the beginning when you encountered the word with less applicable context, they aren't always words that feel useful when you're talking out to other people. Like they're, it's an awkward word in a coming out kind of context. And I think that's one of the really interesting challenges for us as we try to communicate about our lives, where we have these words that are really meaningful and specific and communicate something important within the community that doesn't necessarily translate. Definitely. It's like when you take those vocabulary tests in high school and there are words from 19th century novels and you're getting tested on your knowledge of it. And you're like, I'm never going to use this word because it has no applicable context to your life. And until those words have meaning to you, then then you don't really feel the need to understand them and and use right. them. and they sound weird and yeah. they feel awkward <laughs> and they are them. made up i mean all words are made up but you know like some of these they're they're not in the webster's dictionary so people could be you know they're i think obvious retort is like well you just made that up that's fake those aren't real and granted yes words someone had to create them right but polyamory is generally speaking a newish term within the past 30 40 years something like that Um, I actually, in sort of like thinking about my definition of it, I grabbed our Webster's Dictionary off the shelf, which I have had since high school. So it's like a 1995 edition of Webster's Dictionary and polyamory is not in there. Yeah. But you know, the way that Webster's adds words to the dictionary is as they become part of common parlance. Exactly. So if we're not using it, they're not going to go in the dictionary. But as more and more people use these words, at some point, Webster's and Miriam and whoever else, new collegiate, are going to be like, okay, this word actually needs to be in the dictionary. Yeah, they're adding words all the time. Need it. Yeah. I think last year or maybe this year's word of the year was dumpster fire. They added that, you know, (laughs) like that was that was a thing. (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I feel like because I I come from a like English and creative writing background, I love words. I like new words. I like created words, whatever. Um, But I notice a lot of like label hate in polyamory Facebook groups and, and just amongst people in general. And 
I don't know if you could speak to where it, cause it sounds like you kind of had that, that knee jerk reaction of like, I don't need this. I don't like it. Um, where does that come from? Uh, that it makes it feel so off putting. I think at least for me, when I saw it all at once, there is a lot of terminology that doesn't have anything to do with my situation. So, and especially like as my situation has evolved and changed really at the beginning, it seemed like, okay, these are things that this is not what I'm feeling. This is not what I'm living. So I hesitate to use any of this, but as you start to realize what is applicable to your life, then it's like, oh, wait, this is not um, a manual for what I need to be. It's a menu that I get to pick and choose from. <laughs> and that gives it a whole new context. Like, okay, I'm not this, but I am this. This happens in my life. Let's pull this word from the glossary and make that make sense for me. And that doesn't mean that I don't like this other word. It just means that it's not a word that I'm probably going to use a lot, though maybe I use it to say, I am not this. And that's really helpful. Um, I'm a vegetarian. And so the first thing I do in a restaurant is I just sort of scan the menu for what my options are. And there are certain things that I like immediately rule out. Um, and so narrowing down my eyes to like, okay, these are the dishes that I have to choose from because they're the ones that don't have meat in them. So I sort of see it similarly to that. Like now I can like, okay, I'm not hating on the meat eaters at all. They can order what they want, but these are the things that I'm looking at. And it makes the, the whole grouping of having this vocabulary be necessary make a lot more sense to me because now as i'm seeing what does apply to me i'm looking at some of these other words and going oh i can see why there's a need for that word for the people that do need and use that word and now i can have conversations with the people that need and use that word and say hey why do you consider yourself this and i can learn more and be enriched and that's great i'm just learning more and more all the time. My, uh, my husband uh, put it this way. And I think you guys even had a podcast with a name, something like infinite ways to love and play. And my husband recently used that phrase. He's like, there are just infinite ways for people to have loving relationships in their life and um, to learn more and more about that, even when they are things that are not going to directly affect my life. It's still feels really good to understand and then to be able to have empathetic and strong relationships with people who are engaged in those things. Kind of like, the more you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, graphic go across my head right now. <laughs> Your example of the menu and vegetarian options also I think really speaks to, if you don't know all of these different words mean meat, it's going to take you a lot longer to understand the menu and recognize your options than if you know that ham and bacon and lamb and mutton and, you know, like these are all meat words. Or some <laughs> complicated ones. Like if you don't know what prosciutto is, like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So having a at least base vocabulary helps you figure out, oh, these are conversations I'm interested in. And these are conversations that maybe I'm not so interested in. 
See, I knew our produce conversation at the break was going to play into this. <laughs> I don't know what a ramatan is. Do I want that? Maybe I'll try it. Then, not for me. <laughs> Perfect. I do feel like, and I'm sure this exists somewhere, but like polyamory terminology is in and itself, like it needs like a one-on-one class. Like there's so much there. There are so, there's so much in a glossary and even... I will mix up words and I've been talking about polyamory for 12 years and you know, like I'll switch up solo poly and monopoly and then someone will be like, that's not that. And I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. Duh. Like, yeah, I'm just using the wrong word. Sorry. You know? And, and so it's um, yeah, it, it is, it is a lot of information. Uh, I do think that, you know, obviously much like all labels, it does make things convenient but only for people who know what you're talking about, right? So oftentimes, you know, I'll have like five or six labels on like a dating profile. And if someone doesn't know what I mean by queer, uh, it starts a conversation, which is a good thing, but also could be a lot of questions that I guess I could have, you know, say explained without that word. You know, I, I put in my, on my dating profile that I'm a cis woman. And if you don't know what cis woman is, that's an adjective before woman that makes you, I guess it, it looks like I'm othered. So I've had multiple people who don't know what cis means ask if I'm trans, which is the opposite because they don't know what cis woman means. So therefore they're like, oh, so you have an adjective before a woman. So therefore you, what is that? What does that mean? What are you doing? <laughs> it's very strange. Um, also, you know, I, I like to say Google is your friend, please use it. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah. But it depends really on what your purpose is, right? Like if you don't, you know, don't want to date somebody who probably doesn't have a familiarity with terms like cisgender or queer. Mm -hmm. But if you were having a conversation with a relative, you might feel more patience around like, what are the words that I can use to explain what I mean that they will understand and, you know, that will help me help them understand my life. And they're totally different agendas for the conversation. Well, and I have found that I will use different words in different, uh, different labels in different settings. So like, even though I identify as queer and I might lean more towards pansexual or demisexual, those are words that are not going to be known um, by a, a lot of people. But if I say bisexual, uh, that's known by almost everyone, right? It might be misunderstood. It might be very misunderstood. But if I say bisexual and if I identify as bisexual, a lot of people are going to understand what I mean. Whereas if I use other, maybe a little bit more in the no terms, they're going to have, they're just going to be like, okay, we'll explain that then. Right. Something else that's been really interesting and very contextual for me is not just starting to understand and use the terms within polyamory, but kind of going the other direction and where does polyamory fit into the umbrella of open relationships and learning about other kinds of open relationships and the terminology used there for the sake of hopefully being able to talk about this more with people in my life who don't know what polyamory is. Because I think of, of all the things that other people I know, um, especially of an older generation, would immediately jump to, they would go, oh, you guys are swingers. Like, no, we're not at all. And nothing against swingers, but it's not what we do. And this is completely different. So being able 
to understand and explain the difference between swinging partnered ethical non-monogamy, which is also a part of our life, though I'm not talking to relatives about that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to start. They don't need to know. <laughs> that, um, and you know, it's all these Venn diagrams overlap all over the place. Um, I do feel the need to um, just put something out there to the poly community, and I hope I won't be judged for this. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I like I'm sorry. I just, I, I, it's okay. Everybody doesn't have to be into the same thing. No, yeah. I don't either. I, I honestly don't really like board games. Yeah, it's, I, I like some party games. You know, I play, I play a lot of Monopoly and such with my kids, but <laughs> yeah, the, those, those games just, they, they, they don't do it for me. My, my nerddom comes out in, in other aspects. So I'm still a huge nerd. Don't worry. And that's what I am that kind of nerd, but I have been that kind of nerd for a lot longer than I've identified as Polly. So <laughs> right. that's all a part of who you are. And that is exactly. sort of another thing is that like, finding this community and even I mean I found this community right before the world shut down so it's almost entirely been through social media and zoom chats and still the first thing that I noticed about people who are polyamorous the ones that I've gotten to know is they are interesting people who do cool stuff in their lives and it makes sense because in order to be in polyamorous relationships, I think you have to be somewhat of a risk taker and kind of adventurous and willing to step outside societal guidelines. And that's also going to make you probably step outside those things in the rest of your life. But, you know, my husband and I have both always been people who just, we embrace artistry and creativity in our lives. And we don't just go to work and come home and watch the TV show that everybody else is watching and like take care of our lawn on the weekends. Like it's not who we are. Like we write music and make music and make art and like to go to concerts and cook interesting things and read interesting books and pursue being like more artistically fulfilled people in our lives. It's a big part of how we live. And I immediately just started seeing all of these people who have that same nature, people who write and read and go places and dance and perform and, and so many great tattoos, so much great hair. <laughs> it's like, y'all are beautiful. You're just beautiful. <laughs> It's true. We have a really creative, interesting community. And there are so many different things that people are into and that people have uh, found ways to express. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, there's a lot of crafty people too. I found a lot of geeky people, a lot of crafty people in the poly communities. It's funny how all of these worlds intersect, you know, the Ren Fair folks. There's so many people <laughs> who love Ren Fair that are in our group. And yeah, it's ridiculous. It also does make sometimes the overlapping Facebook groups uh, or right. Facebook friends a little interesting where you're like, huh, I wonder. Do I, I know them they're friends time? with Lindsay, yeah. but I know them in a really different context. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Burlesque world is like that too. Do I know them through burlesque or do I know them through polyamory or do I know them through both? 
Mm, okay. <laughs> Doesn't I'm matter. I'm thinking of people I think you know through yarn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most of my yarn people do not have any uh, overlap. Most. Nope, that's not true. Well, some. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm a yarn that separately. Now you're, yeah. <laughs> um, and that makes me then look at my greater community and I think, well, if there are all these people out there who would be shocked to find out about me and my husband, who are the people that I know that maybe I have no idea and they're just not open about it. And it's just like, I want to, I, I want to be able to find out <laughs> what something that's easier to talk about and um the arts world is interesting because it goes both directions like there are the people like me and my husband who are very into like the creativity side of it and then there's a very sort of conservative aspect of the arts world as well when you talk about well, the people with the money who make it go for the most part um and you know there are people who treat making art as a business and you know sort of like have lives that don't intersect i've often met like very conservative religious people um in in the arts community and so there's just a really wide span and that's where i'm in that spot of like i could tell someone about this and they could be like oh yeah duh that makes sense or they could like want nothing to do with me be like that's that's absolutely like that's not okay and so not knowing um what the reaction is going to be um is still a little tricky so trying to like take baby steps and uh feel my way out to that um i had an experience in uh october on national coming out day and oh it was you uh posted this image actually about like just not feeling ready know that you're still loved and i was seeing a lot of other people's posts about being brave and courageous and coming out and being who you are and i'm just not there yet but i said to myself okay then i'm gonna take one symbolic baby stop today and i'm gonna tell my really good one really good friend who i know is like gay and has been in different kinds of relationships and is really close to me and my husband and this is a person who i know 100 percent will understand and will support me and i'll have one person to go for coffee walks and talk about this and and i told him and he was just so honored to be the one that i shared this with and to have this thing that he and i know and can talk about now and you know he's friends with our whole family and so um that was that was really special that made me feel like okay this is this is gonna be okay i can keep taking these baby steps so that's fantastic it might be yeah, yeah i feel like every like um superhero needs one person to talk to about their shit you know like one person they can come out to <laughs> somebody uh some jimmy olsen or lois lane or whatever <laughs> you're like right. you know my secret i'm gonna talk to you because if you keep it all into yourself and you can only talk to your partner about your stuff, it's it's so hard, it's so much yeah. more difficult. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that um thinking about another term, one that not necessarily like within my relationships, but in talking to other people is like knowing what a triad is now, because I think that's the conclusion that a lot of people jump to, like oh, all three of you are together. You're thinking, no, there are people that do that, but that's not what we are like i have a relationship with my husband i 
have a romantic relationship with her. They are not together romantically. She has a male partner. I am not with him romantically to be able to like explain that and be able to use some of those terms um, in that context. I don't know if there's a specific term for what we are. We're not quite a W, but I don't know if there's a letter of the alphabet. <laughs> Pair of a couple of these. <laughs> were there any terms when you um, like first started or even now uh, that were challenging for you to either understand or or like come around to use? Um, not so much one specifically. I think the the difference that impacted us the most and being able to um, identify what it was that we wanted was polyamory itself and understanding that it fell under the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy and then being able to say like, okay, I am polyamorous. My husband is ethically non-monogamous, but he is not polyamorous and being able to make that distinction um, that it, it took me a while to figure that out and be able to talk about it in that way. But that was one that I think was kind of a, a game changer for us as far as really understanding what we have and where we're going moving forward. Right. As we do talk, sometimes we've talked a little bit on the podcast about monopoly relationships, but this isn't that. It's right. distinct from that. And figuring out how to be able to express that is obviously really important in your marriage and in the context of your life and his life. And yeah, that's a, a subtle but important distinction. And even though there's overlap, we found it to be kind of the most successful when we put those things in two different buckets. Like my polyamory is my relationship with my girlfriend, my relationship with my husband, how that all works together. It's, I mean, yes, it's all physical, but it's very much about like emotional connections and relationships too. Whereas ethical non-monogamy is something that my husband and I are doing together and it's ours and that's what we want it to be. And so we have to sort of separate that into this other part of our lives and even though like yes there is like some crossover in how you feel about each one it really is a different subject for us than polyamory can you explain a little bit about what you mean when you say like your husband you and your husband together have ethical non-monogamy as part of your relationship sure yeah i mean we are we are interested in having other play partners together. We are interested in fun friendships that could also involve some sex with other couples, with men, women, trans, anyone. We don't, we don't know. It's, it's fun. We're <laughs> exploring that um, as a way. I don't want to make it sound like good housekeeping. Spice up your sex life. But it's different. <laughs> than that um but it is something that as the two of us have evolved in our relationship we found that we both enjoy as far as like opening up our feelings and bodies and what we do and that it's something that that we want to be 
ours. It's very much um, something that we want to do together. Whereas we came to the realization like over the last year that my relationship with my girlfriend really was more mine and I wanted it to be mine and hers. And while my husband is a part of supporting that and we are, oh, here's another one that I can, that I use now, kitchen table poly, where kitchen, to be able to say, like, I didn't know what that was at first. I was like, well, I'm making dinner right now and my girlfriend and her partner and her kids are coming over. So I guess we're kitchen table poly. <laughs> you hang out together. So to be able to, again, like in the poly community, use that expression for people to understand, because I know there are poly relationships where partners don't really have anything to do with each other. And, and we're not that we're, we're all friends. Polycule, that's another one. I like saying polycule now. Look at us. Polycule potluck the day after Thanksgiving. It was great. <laughs> um, so yeah, making making that distinction of um, the ethical non-monogamy being something that we we always experience together and that really, you know, and that doesn't mean like everybody's always piled on the bed at the same time. There can be, you know, watching and all of that stuff. And um, but it is something that we have in our conversations and that my husband has expressed like, we we want to do together whereas my relationship with my girlfriend is really kind of an autonomous thing now and that is that's a, a partnership and a relationship that at the core of it doesn't have anything to do with my husband that makes sense thanks for clarifying that just in case anybody listening was like what does that mean how does that work yeah so I just got a really funny idea um, channeling my inner James Lipton inside the actor's studio. Do you have a favorite poly word? Ooh, favorite <laughs> poly word. <laughs> I, I, I think I have to go with metamor now. Like I never would, I never would have thought, but it just, it, it makes sense. Like the actual etymology of it and the idea of this person who has a very specific role in your life and um i don't want to say my girlfriend's partner's name here but his name fits really well with the prefix meta and so that's my like <laughs> name for him now which i just like it makes him sound like a transformer and that's just cool <laughs> <laughs> that's totally awesome that was the day i like fully came to terms with metamore i'm like well if i can call him meta blank right then that's I'm down with that. Meta George. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you... I'm I hope his name isn't George. If it is, please edit that out. <laughs> but I love the idea. That's really a fun thing. Well, I want to follow up. Do you have a least favorite word from the glossary that you found, or word that you hear in use in the world? Um, no. I now that I really like understand the need. Or the words, I mean, there's nothing that sounds ugly or that sounds like, oh, that's not a thing to me anymore, because I have realized, like, if someone's created a word for it, it's definitely a thing, and it's a thing that needs a word. So it's just, it's kind of about expanding my horizons to understand some of these new words. Um, someone recently shared with me the terminology surrounding asexual partnerships, and that was all totally new 
to me. And my favorite from that was plush. <laughs> like when you have a you a plush on someone is a platonic crush. Oh my like, gosh. That's great. Oh, that's a fantastic word. Yeah. That's adorable. <laughs> I was gonna say thruple. That's that's a word everybody hates. Thruple. Oh, thruple. Yeah. <laughs> Though it seems to be kind of going by the wayside. Yeah. Well I imagine there's much rejoicing over that. Yeah. Most people don't use it because there's not a lot of triads. Yeah. actively in the community so it's not it doesn't get used often but often people hate on it a lot <laughs> it's kind of awkward just, horrible. It, just yeah. like, it sounds like you're gonna vomit a little yeah. bit <laughs> they actually needed it a, to say it frog in my throat <laughs> so yeah pl plush is my new like i i don't have a place for it in my life currently but i just love the fact that it exists like yeah it's a totally it's a charming platonic crush and it's a plush that's so cute and it makes me think of little stuffed animals yeah yeah exactly and the, those little stuffed animals are cute things that you you know kind you, of you, hug it, <laughs> you think about like what you do with your stuffed animal <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean some people yeah, right, right. <laughs> no kink shaming, but none at all. It's adorable. It's not my thing, but I'm I'm here for it. You know. <laughs> I think it's really interesting when words, especially kind of in like niche communities like like ours, they get debated over and over again. Uh, I know there's always this debate that gets thrown around, especially in poly groups, but queer groups and stuff like the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality. A lot of people like to debate that. I feel like there are, you know, uh, there's an answer to that. But I'll, oftentimes I'm like, why are we debating this? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I know that there are subtle differences, but also just tell us what you want. Just tell us what you mean. Just tell us who you are. And, you know, and so I'm like, it's, this, I, I, I identify as both. So like, I, I'm just kind of like, if you, if you need a difference, then sure. I don't think that there's a, a anything in, in anything transphobic about being uh identifying as bisexual but a lot of people will say that or or claim that that's a thing and uh and yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous but a lot of I feel like there are a lot of debates about terminology that mm -hmm. you'll encounter when getting into these uh niche groups I do think sometimes they, these words and that distinction can be useful as sort of a signal word like out in the world, if I meet someone who presents as part of a heterosexual couple and I don't maybe know them that well, and they refer to their person as my partner instead of as my husband or as my wife, I hear it as they are trying to send a signal of being inclusive and um, not being homophobic and like they might be married, but it's still a useful signal word totally. to the wider world of their values. And I kind of think, I mean, I, I, I identify more with the word bisexual, but I think that the word pansexual is also a useful signal word to try to say in a community where it might matter that you mean to welcome non-binary and trans folks and that you know sort of like i hear partner out in the wider world so i like that we have access to those kinds of words to communicate um 
in a sort of shorthand value system more than I think they are super specific, useful words all the time. Totally. That, yeah, that I get that. Sense. Well, and then there's the sort of like separating of like my sexuality and sexual attractions versus the actual partnerships and relationships that I am in. So while I use bisexual, that right now, you know, makes sense to me because I have a partnership and a relationship with a man and with a woman. It doesn't mean that I do not feel would not feel attraction to non-binary or trans people it's not currently like a part of my lives and partnerships but you know if that ever changed then maybe that terminology would change for me hard to say so but yeah i i agree with the like the signaling and the welcoming and um something that came up be, because I'm a teacher is I have noticed that a lot of teachers still say boys and girls to their class. And there's been a kind of movement among some progressive teachers, like here are alternatives for saying boys and girls. And so I always address my classes as my friends. Like, good morning. Hello, my friends. Have a great day, my friends. Like that is that's my standard and I've been trying to when you know when I when I notice it and I, I picked up on it um with other teachers and they don't think about it it's just something that they've said all their lives and you know I'm especially sensitive to it because there are like openly transgender kids in my at my kids school and so the teachers there are very aware and sensitive to that and you know I've had to say to other teachers like you know when you say boys and girls there might be kids who feel kind of alienated by that like, oh my god I never thought of that and right when, when there are so many other things that you could say besides boys and girls or ladies and gentlemen in a speaking sort of context um right. to go Friends, back to kids people gang class students like there's a million words yeah yeah I've even had to rewire my mind working retail so of not saying like hey if you guys need anything just let me know because that is my go-to saying if you guys need anything, let me know. And, uh, and you know, I would say that saying that um, guys is specifically gendered and therefore not inclusive is kind of a newish thing, I would say within the past like five years of like realizing that and probably within the last two years of me consciously making an effort to not say guys all the time, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, but yeah, it was, it's, it's like rewiring part of your brain and it's, I, it can I be difficult. I am going to take issue with the idea that it's a new thing because I actually remember having arguments with people about that in college. Really, <laughs> I'm a lot older than you. True, so. fair, but uh, yeah, I guess but something that it, I did not notice until recently that people well, were actually a, upset about it. It's such a Midwestern mm. term. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to hear as a non-gendered word, but it is a gendered word. Right. And so I think it's one of those things that, you know, depending on where you are and what context you're in, you might make different decisions. But I think particularly where you work, making yeah. sure that you're trying to be conscious about being inclusive um, matters to the customers who are in your space. Yeah. Where, you know, if I'm knocking on my kid's door like all right guys time to get up like my kids do not feel alienated <laughs> right yeah 
but you know, and I never know uh, from one customer to the next if they are non-binary, if they are trans, uh, if they, you know, and if I'm calling an entire group of trans women and non-binary people guys, they will probably have an issue with that. You know, they might not, they might not uh, even mention it, but I never want anyone in my, in the store that I work at, right, who would, which is a very trans inclusive store to feel uncomfortable because of the way I'm addressing them. Like that's the right. absolute Absolutely. opposite thing we want. Yeah. So. With individual addressing, you don't think about how often someone will come up to you and say, sir, or mm-hmm. ma'am, or lady, or gentleman, and trying to, to get that um, out of the vocabulary when we're accustomed to it. Um, Especially when those are considered respectful terms. Exactly. Like, exactly. So that's so really hard. Respectfully addressing someone as an individual without it being gender specific. And sometimes you're in a situation where you are expected to use um, something respectful. So, right. so some kind of honorific or I love to say folks to address a group yeah. of people, but sometimes I'm speaking in a situation where, well, folks just isn't the right thing. <laughs> I do it anyway, because I can get away with a lot of weird stuff just because of who I am. And once I've convinced people like, it's okay, you can put me in front of this audience, they'll like me. <laughs> My coworker always uses friend and I love that. I think that's so fun. Yeah. Uh, it does remind me of like, yeah, back when I used to work at like Kohl's or Target or something that everyone was a guest. They're not a customer, they're a guest. And yeah. like, okay. Hello, oh. guest. Yes. Hello, guest. <laughs> <laughs> the one I the thing I worry about with friend individually is like they think that I'm going to invite them to a Quaker meeting. In the context of my work, I would never refer to somebody who I'm speaking to as friend, even if I'm friends with them. Right. Um, right. It's either a professional title or Mr. So-and-so or Ms. So-and-so. And that is kind of problematic. And I really probably need to think about, is there something I could use that would still be an appropriate sort of honorific title for the people who don't necessarily have a professional title that I'm addressing them by. Like Esteemed. I refer so so. <laughs> like like often I'm in a very formal conversation, right? And so there's attorneys on the call and there's non-attorneys on the call. And so, you know, we always refer to the attorneys as attorney so and so, attorney so and so. So that's gender neutral and or doctor in this context. Doctor. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But if the other person either doesn't have a professional title or is, you know, I don't know it if they do, like all I have is first name, last name. And in writing, it's a little bit easier. I've seen MX as uh, like honorific that's gender neutral. But how do you pronounce I think. <laughs> Mix, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. But that would make it more awkward sometimes, you know, so. Right. And, and it's definitely one of those things where, you know, if I say, okay, so attorney so-and-so said ABC, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Is that a fair characterization of what happened? You know, like, hmm. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, what, else, what else would you use in place of Mr.? And it's someone you're not on a first name basis with necessarily. Right, right, exactly. There's a power differential in the relationship and there's all sorts of layers of thing to think about here. 
Well, this is going to be call like, them by their last name, and you're like a high school boy from the fifties. Jenkins. What right. do you <laughs> That's interesting. I think I might take this topic next year to our national conference and say, can we talk about this? Because, you know, I think in a lot of ways, right, like there's probably going to be a lot of pushback. It's a very old white guy job. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there's, you know, I suspect going to be some resistance. But on the other hand, I'm in a position of privilege where I can go and say like, hey, let's have a conversation about this. And at least then, you know, those old white guys are having that conversation. So if someone does say to them, actually, old white folks, right? <laughs> I prefer to be identified as old white folks. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly right. I don't know. That is a great point. Fairly old white guys. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting. And I'm excited too, because I haven't really been able to think of anything to like talk about, like, as they come around every year and say, all right, we're putting together the program for our conference. Let's have ideas. <laughs> One of the other things I had written down as a note here was just like assumptions and how words often lead to assumptions, whether, whether good or bad. Uh, and sometimes that can be like, like you said before, identifies poly and people think that means swinger because it's the most, I guess, common ethical or form of non-monogamy that's or at like least the most media represented. Yeah, yeah. Culturally <laughs> known, right? It means polygamy, like think that yeah. <laughs> right. wives. Wait, are you Mormon? Yeah. Right. Well I have relatives who are, so that's that is probably where then some of my other family's mind could go. And but I guess there are also good assumptions, right? Like that's the whole point of labels is that you can kind of give you a shorthand of, well, I am in a non-hierarchical relationship, anarchy relationship. And if they know any of those words, they can assume some good, they can assume some things about you, make good assumptions about you. There's the good and the bad of, about assumptions, right? When it yeah. comes to labels. And that's what I really love about the word polyamory itself is that it means love. It has love embedded in the word and there's just never any bad connotation in that. Like it's not a sexual term. It's not a term that is just logistical about having partners. It's a term that has the word love in it. And so that can always be the basis for setting a positive standard. And I, I think about that a lot when I think about having coming out type conversations to really look at this as being about love and different ways of loving people and it being about honesty. It being about like, that's the point that I keep coming back to when I think about how I'm going to tell people is to say like, this is all about honesty. This is all about no one doing anything deceptive or secretive and that's fidelity like that's the marriage vow that we took we vowed to be faithful to each other and we just had to renegotiate the contract a little bit as you often do from time to time like and what does being faithful mean now what does fidelity mean to you and to us it means keeping a promise to be honest to each other and keeping a promise to work together to make our own marriage work. And in our case, working together to make our marriage keep working meant 
opening it up. And I hear a lot of like integrity in that as well. Like it's about, you know, having a really having relationship integrity. You're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to sneak around. Like this is all about everyone being on the same page in terms of what is serving our relationship and ourselves as human beings. Yeah. So I guess, was there anything else you wanted to add about coming to terms with terms? Just that. Or advice you'd like to give. I feel like, yeah, the last advice needs to be. So uh, I've got to say something. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure at all. I'm just so happy to still be learning and I just can't underestimate the importance of communication and it's one of those things that once it gets rolling it just gets better and better and I would encourage anyone who is thinking about any kind of changes to their life and relationships to just not be afraid of those first steps in communication because they are very scary and they are very confusing and to know like it's going to be hard for a while and you are going to make some mistakes and you probably are going to get your feelings hurt and you're probably going to hurt somebody else's feelings and if you keep working at it and talking through it and figuring out why you made that mistake and why those feelings ended up hurt then you're going to be able to change that and move on from it and in our situation doing that work was a hundred percent worth it. And I know that there will be more of it. Like, it's not just like coasting from here on out, even though we're in a really good place right now, I know that there will continue to be that kind of work with communication, but I feel like we got over that first hump of it being difficult. And the next time that there has to be some intensity of communication, it's, it's just going to feel easier because it's the next time around. And Um, that word practice really comes into play as again as a musician the word practice for me for a long time just meant like do it over and over until you get it right and it's a very like technical term and um, before I might have thought practicing polyamory sounded very like methodical but because I have before this experienced the use of that word in yoga and in meditation and that practice is just revisiting practice is analyzing and being aware that then applying the word practice in that same way to relationships makes a lot more sense. You're practicing in the way that you practice yoga, the way that you practice meditation, and it doesn't always go the way that you want it to. Um, but by being aware and by revisiting, then you keep on coming to terms with it. So um, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And that is saying a lot. So any of the difficult challenges are, they're worth it. Nice. That is a great note to end on. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really fun conversation. I'm really glad that we were able to make this all work. And that, you know, when you reached out to Lindsay and she said, well, why don't you come on the podcast and talk? You said, yes. Thank you a ton for that. Oh, this has been great. Thank you so much. I'm just feeling very, very cheerful now from, from getting to talk.
to people who people who get it <laughs> thank you folks too <laughs> and that is it from us at polyamory uncensored we have been Lindsay miller and katie williams we'd like to thank podcast husband rob for being our sound engineer and thank you Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart you can follow us on facebook and instagram at polyamory uncensored contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment and if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.